This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. It was freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I outran a cold front when I gave my truck the range. Barreling down I 35 with one thought on my mind. Forget the race, find an open space, leave that city. Hey there, howdy. Thanks for tuning in and thank you for mighty obliged that you tell your friends that you hang out here on the other side of Texas. But of all the little towns in West Texas, not helpful. Okay. Uh, thanks for tuning in and telling friends, mighty obliged that you tell friends that you hang out on the other side of Texas, the most listened to program in the region, maybe the state. I'm your host, Jay West Texas Leeson rolling along here on the other side. I um, have a couple of things to get into, but first need to tell you that we are broadcasting from the studios where Buddy Holly became famous, the Racer Car Wash Studios, voted Lubbock's best wash for five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across the Hub City, for the best wash around, guaranteed at racerwash.com. Find the best location for you at racerwash.com. Several things to get into. We've got Selena, uh, Selena Zito coming up here on the program. Somebody who I read often and will be very eager to have a conversation with her. Coming up about eight minutes from now. Man, her stuff is so good. And then Catherine Hayhoe, a world-renowned climate scientist, in studio with us. Hey, listen, I just, whenever I sit on this side of the microphone, I've decided that I want to run the program as though I were listening to the program. What would pique my interest? What would I want to know about? Even if I disagree, what what would be interesting to me? And I think Selena Zito and Catherine Hayhoe in their respective professions and their specific um, expertise in which they focus, bring those to the program. But before we get into all of that, uh, a speaking of Catherine Hayhoe, what happened to the fall? Like there's supposed to be a fall where things turn orange and then yellow and then fall from trees, what trees we have. That's apparently not going to happen. Again, broadcasting from Lubbock, we're going straight into the weekend of making a bunch of chili, watching football, and watching, I guess, the roads ice up on Monday. And here we are broadcasting in, uh, you know, like the second week in October. But here we go. Yeah, I don't know if that's bipolar West Texas weather. I I don't know. I'm I'm a little bit confused by all that. Something that I'm not very confused about is the latest in Regent Gate and 
rather than play you the theme music, let's just cue up the ditty. The ditty, what do you got right here on your other side? As we get into a couple of news stories pertaining to what you got and what you don't got. So a couple of notes of breaking news from the Rager Gate front. And speaking of what kind of uh, planes one might have, everythinglubbock.com, Dateline Lubbock, Madison Funding, LLC, and Rager Dykes reach an agreement in bankruptcy court for Madison to take a corporate jet. So what do you got? I got two planes. One's a jet. One's a prop. Well, now, apparently, just the prop? I have to check in and see if the prop is still around. Some, but not all, Rager Dykes companies filed for bankruptcy on August 1. Technically, the plane was purchased in December 2017, or 2016, excuse me, by RD Executive Travel, which is not one of the companies that went bankrupt. RD, standing for Rager Dykes, Executive Travel took out a $917,000 loan on the plane. The loan has gone into default. The loan payments were $15,640 per month for 60 months. The plane was listed in records as a Cessna Citation Ultra Model 560. According to FlightAware, the last time it flew on August 7 from Dallas to Lubbock, quote, a prospective buyer has agreed to enter into a finance agreement with Madison. According to court documents, RD executive previously owned a 1997 Cessna 421C. It was sold in July 2018. And along those fronts, of what do you got? Maybe some relief for customers. And it's been a while since, and we're going to follow up with this next week. Lots of people have sent in testimonials. This all got caught up in Regent Gate for us. And uh, now a lot of attention going back to uh, Rager Gate, as we've called it here. Rager Gate with, uh, you know, something that people enjoy. No. Yeah, some Regergate. Um, Dateline Lubbock. The bankruptcy judge presiding over Regerdike's auto group has been asked to grant a motion to allow retail lenders to pay outstanding tax, title, and licenses in trade-in payoffs. The ruling would mean if there are any negative comments or an effective customer's uh, credit report, those comments will be removed if the customer was having to make monthly payments for their trade-in and their new car, the payoff for their old car, will finally be paid. And folks, that's where we began to get in the story, and that's where people began to give us leads into the story. So that's good news for a lot of people. They trade in their cars, good faith that their car was taken care of, 
and yet it shows up on their credit report that apparently being taken care of looking forward to chasing that story as we go along but as we go along here we're going to get into a quick break and then get in with selena zito have a good conversation with her and then following katherine hayhoe hey it's going to be a great drive with you here on this episode of Other Side of Texas. Going to get into a quick text again and be back here, AM 580 Lubbock. How they ride it out through the dust and drought till you live in a prairie town. Hey, Welcome back into your other side. This segment brought to you by Title One, Lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company. Title One committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at TitleOne.com. Hey, a big day for me because somebody who I really enjoy reading, especially in that other side fashion or raving on, I don't know if she's ever been to Lubbock, Texas, but I hear Buddy Holly in the background raving on whenever I read her. She is Selena Zito, and I really appreciate you making time to be on the show, Miss Zito. Texas. I've been there several times. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be on the show. Well, so, Selena, I know that I want to get in with a recent piece that you wrote that listeners have sent to me. We get the politicians we deserve. But that piece, and let me give you a proper introduction. You're a reporter with the Washington Examiner, a columnist with New York Post, CNN contributor. You do your own Cirrus XM uh, show there on the POTUS channel Main Street, and you have interviewed every president since Gerald Ford, and you just landed an exclusive, I see, with President Donald Trump set to publish on Tuesday. Uh, here's the thing, is that I was a Trump voter in the primary, in the Republican primary, and let me tell you why, Selena, because I get tired. As a West Texan, I understand how my economy works, and it works through agriculture, and it works through education, higher education, Texas Tech University right here in Lubbock, and with public education in all the rural towns, the main staple of economy in rural communities in Texas, and a lot of the mid-America itself and across these fruited plains is within independent school districts or public schools and then you also get into the medical professions whenever trump went around and said you know the other candidates giving the staple tax reform entitlement reform primary speeches but trump began to pick up on trade deals and those of us who pay close attention know that we've been on the wrong side of trade deals for some time and it's called it's caused decimation in a lot of rural communities. And Selena, you don't get out on planes. You drive when you're <laughs> able and you engage people in whatever midsize or rural community or wherever it may be. But you were the first to pick up on what a lot of us began to see in the primary. And I remember it was you who said, 
don't take him literally, Donald Trump, but take him seriously. Whenever you rode around Selena Zito, when did it become apparent to you that Trump would would first win the Republican nomination, but probably win the presidency? Well, I've been detecting the uh, thanks for the nice introduction, by the way. Um, <laughs> um, I've been, been been detecting this populist, um, uh, conservative populist coalition uh, coming together for about almost let's see since two thousand and six. Wow! Uh, I understood that something was different was happening, and that's when the Republicans lost to moderate pro-life, pro-gun, uh, uh, moderate. Um, conservative Democrats in 2006, and it became clear to me that, um, that it was sort of a pox on both parties because those weren't typical Democrats that ran. And so something different and a new coalition was building. I didn't think that Donald Trump was going to win when he went down the uh, elevator in 2015, but certainly by the time the Iowa caucuses were over, and I understood that evangelical voters were Wheeling, even though he didn't win, evangelical voters showed that they were willing to vote for their um, priorities over someone who didn't share their values, that something, you know, different was going on. By the time... Selena, can I, July, may I interrupt yeah. for just a moment? What, yeah. what were their priorities, their priorities um, over their values? Religious, um, religious liberty. They believed that he was just mean enough um, to go to the mattresses for them over issues like um, judicial picks and the Second Amendment and protecting religious liberty. And um, they, they were tired of Republican candidates saying that they would do these things but never following through. Hmm. So, and then, go ahead. Uh, in July 2016, I drove across the state of Pennsylvania and went to all 67 counties. I identified 10 of them that were vulnerable for the Democrats to flip or increase their turnout by just 2,000 votes. And if that happened, it didn't matter what numbers that Hillary Clinton got in Philadelphia, Donald Trump would win the state. And if Pennsylvania was gone, that meant North Carolina, Florida, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio, and and Iowa were also gone. And that is because Pennsylvania is five points more Democratic. Those 10 counties that I identified um, just needed to turn out 2,000 more votes. And uh, they did. You know, I understood it by interviewing with people that live there, but also, I know this sounds silly, but by all the signs. Not because, not the kinds of signs you go down to the, you know, Republican committees. Um, you know, office and pick up, but we're talking about signs that were homemade. I saw barns with, with Trump on the side. I saw houses. I even saw a horse painted with Trump on the side. So it, something incredibly different was happening. And I understood in July of 2016, it was over. Wow. And that's a lot different from me sitting on my couch in you know, <laughs> November, 2016. And, Again, as somebody who voted for him in the primary, I think there are a lot of people who are listening who fancy themselves as conservative Republicans, but uh, me and I think we have a mutual friend in Brandon Darby, um, Darby and I, with a grin on our faces, saying we were there before a lot of people 
on uh, <laughs> on Trump. But so whenever you say populist, you use an adjective uh, prior to that, uh, the sort of coalition that turned up the election was conservative populist. And Selena, on this program, I always make a case for my place dictates how I look at national politics and what my place needs. And so, you know, there are some I'm referred to as a populist, but sometimes in a derogatory form and sometimes in a more positive form. Some will call me the prairie populist up here on the Caprock in Texas, but others will call me the prairie socialist um, because of uh, how I stand for the aforementioned agriculture and education and, and medical. But I have to think that part of, uh, you said religious liberties and you listed several things there, but I have to think that whether it be in Pennsylvania or Wisconsin, and as you come down uh, through Nebraska and then down into Kansas and West Texas, there are a lot of people who prioritize their place over their party allegiance, and Trump just happened to get their attention. Is that too far a stretch for me to extrapolate there? Populism today, modern populism, and and it's really deeply outlined in my book, um, The Great Revolt Inside the Populist Coalition, Reshaping American Politics, where I go out and bring these lives to life in the book. Modern populism is a healthy skepticism of all things big. And if you remember, President uh, Candidate Trump not only blew apart the Democratic Party, but he also blew apart um, the Republican Party. He would constantly say, I'm not, you know, I don't have to stick by this pledge or this, this system is rigged. And, and so these, these, that is part of, of, of this populism, but it also has to do with a deep connection to your community. You know, everyone, not everyone, but pundits tend to, to point fingers at Trump voters and say that they were nationalists. Um, uh, they got that wrong in a really big way. It's not nationalism, it's localism. If you look at the back of the book, uh, of, of my book, The Great Revolt, there's a detailed uh, poll that we did with Trump, just with Trump voters. Uh, 70, or is it 84% of them believe that their lives uh, you know, they, they had a, a, a bright outlook on the future for their lives, but the reverse amount believed that they had a bright outlook for their communities. So it was very much about the preservation of, of their communities and making their communities better, communities that they felt have been either ignored or left for dead or um, uh, sort of made fun of by the more cosmopolitans and the elite. So, yes, you're right. It is about where you live. Okay. That's my long way of saying that. <laughs> no, it was a short way of saying it, and I appreciate it. Selena Zito here with us on the program, at Selena Zito on Twitter. So so I'm watching this race in Texas. I promise we're going to get to the politicians we deserve here, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to milk this for all it's worth while you're with us. Um, We've watched this Senate race. I know it's of intrigue. It was featured last week on Saturday Night Live. The U.S. Senate race in Texas, Ted Cruz and uh, Beto O'Rourke. And Selena, it really is, it's, I'm just aghast. I had, I had 
Beto O'Rourke on this program back in April. We had a conversation in which I said, you've got to have Trump voters. It can't just be the traditional or the more contemporary hodgepodge of Democratic voters, plus a lot of people who are really white and are really well-educated and really hate Donald Trump. You've got to get people... Uh, more rural people into your camp, and he agreed at that time. But since then, Selena, it's this thing of, well, the national anthem and kneeling at the national anthem and then taking up not just a fair-minded approach to Black Lives Matter, but all on one side of the ideological strain. And I just I hear you talk about 2006 and the kind of Democrats that won then, I would think that those kind of Democrats have an opportunity in the 2018 midterms, but I don't hear from those Democrats, and I certainly don't hear one running for U.S. Senate in Texas. Well, you don't have one running for U.S. Senate in Texas, but you do, and and you probably won't get that kind of the candidates that are moderate Democrats in the U.S. Senate are the incumbents like Joe Donnelly in Indiana, Heidi Heitkamp in in North Dakota, um, uh, yeah, but they're, they're the Joe ones Manchin. Are, Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin's not going to lose. But those are the types of Democrats um, that that are losing Senate races. Uh, but in House races, they've done a better job. Like there's no room uh, for a, a state among statewide Democrats. There's no room for a centrist within this current Democratic Party. Oh, but so well, hold on. Let me, ba- let me back up so I make sure. And I just interrupt to get some clarification. You're saying that that Democrats who are centrist on the Senate side tend to lose, could lose. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they will. Things have dramatically changed in this, elect- in this, in this uh, midterm. Um, the last time I saw a wave stop in mid-peak was 1998 when the Republicans overreached in the impeachment process with Bill Clinton. Uh, And and this has all the signs of stopping right now for the Democrats because they how they've overreached in the Kavanaugh hearing. And also just a general sense of uh, condensation. Um, uh, uh, you know, condescending attitudes. Condensation is not what I meant. That's what you get when you have a bad temperature mix. But, um, you know, that's, that's what's happening among uh, uh, for the Democrats. And I don't know that they're able to stop how people view them after what happened with Brett Kavanaugh and how they saw that on full display in the... Um, in those hearings. Remember, they were watching that, and I write about it this week in the New York Post. People watched that on live television. They did not watch it through the filter of the press. The press only came afterwards. Once the press started commenting and giving their point of view, the people that were sitting back and not willing to vote saw the inequity in that and 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 we're energized to come out for Republicans. Uh, Selena Zito, as we go on here, let's get into, well, let me ask you a broader question. So how, 
how can Democrats become more centrist going forward? Like somebody who's been on this program, we used to have this picture up in here, but I don't know what happened to it. Somebody came through is a 24 by 18, Charlie Stenholm, who was a longtime congressman out of the Hill country in Texas, West Texas. Uh, and I, I always call upon Charlie for kind of a pragmatic democratic point of view. Are those days gone and are they gone on both sides of having somebody come? So Charlie Sinholm passed the Reagan tax cuts, right? And, and Charlie Sinholm was a pro-life Democrat. Are those days gone now? Um, well, these, these candidates exist. Unfortunately, because most primaries are closed, they don't make it out of the primary process within their own party uh, because their, their base, is, and those are the people that typically show up in primaries, is much more liberal. Yeah. And so it's going to be very difficult to get that kind of candidate through. The, the base. And was, I'll tell you this, Selena Zito, for all what I really respected about Trump in the primary run was him essentially flashing the birds, for the, a better term, at the Heritage Foundation and at the Cato Institute and all those far-right groups that he just set off, who were all for Ted Cruz in 2016, and Trump fought them, especially on the trade stuff, and said, no, no, this is coming at a core of our country and industry, and it's been really disappointing for me to see those same groups against which he ran in 2016, Selena, are now effectively riding his policy on the fiscal front. So, I'm just telling you from the other side of Texas, I've got a president who, or I've got two parties, one party that I can't go with socially and another party that I've got to hold my nose on fiscal issues. And I have to think that that plays a role throughout mid-America, a place that you know well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, that's exactly what, what's going on. Look, I would argue that President Obama is the one that realigned the political parties, in particular the Democratic Party in 2012, where for 60 years it's been the party, um, the New Deal Democrats, right? It had a coalition of minorities and working-class whites, um, a union, Catholic, uh, you know, it, it, it was the, a party of equal, um, equal pay, right? And, and that sort of changed in 2012 when, when President Obama, for his reelect, decided to run on a more multinational, multicultural, um, uh, um, you know, sort of a world, you know, world first, America second. And, um, and when he did that, that, that took away a lot of their core voters and left them without a party. That's why this new coalition under Trump doesn't isn't all about sort of those Paul Ryan, um, you know, cut and entitlement uh, because they have a sort of New Deal heritage in their way of thinking. Hmm. They don't they don't love big government, but they they don't mind a little bit extra. Well, we've kept you in. I just what we. What we wanted to have you on, and I hope that you'll come back on because I read your stuff, sure. uh, highlighted. I really appreciate you, Selena Zito, being on here on the program. You wrote a piece called "The Politicians We Deserve," and that's what I first picked up on from listeners, as I mentioned earlier. You mentioned 
in this interview, overreach with Kavanaugh. What does it mean? What does Kavanaugh in that whole process? What bearing does that have on politics going forward? That had a huge impact on changing the trajectory of this wave. And uh, it may, I'm not saying it will, but it may keep the Democrats from winning the House majority. It definitely keeps them from gaining any Senate seats. Was, um, was the, losing the House just an assumption that you had before Kavanaugh? Yeah. I, I thought that they would lose it minimally, but they would lose it. Um, you know, probably by, they would be have a five-seat, um, the Democrats would have a five-seat majority. Now I'm not quite sure what happens. Everything is incredibly fluid. Um, Republican and independent voters are in, motivated, and independents are breaking towards the Democrat uh, towards the Republicans. Because of what they saw, how they might fear, like one of their children or themselves. Because yeah, I know in the piece exactly. within the politicians we deserve, you break down Mitch Daniels in in 2011. Why he didn't run? Maybe some baggage on the personal side. He he thought that might uh, come to too much of a bearing. Should he run for president there in 12? Uh, but now a lot of people may be weighing that. And what? So here's my big question. In the age of social media, and people who've been on social media since before they were 18, uh, it's just going to be crazy going forward, Selena, with, well, you said this. You like this post. You did this thing. So, therefore, kind of like you just, po- you just pointed out, I love it, it wasn't about n- – nationalism by and large even even though there are crazies with pillowcases over their heads uh but it's about localism that can be misconstrued into all sorts of shall we say mccarthyism with manners going forward yeah i mean you know it's just uh you know i think people saw with kavanaugh and overreach and um and they saw the uh the Democrats behaving like the mob, and that freaks them out. And I think it's as simple as that. Like a mob or, or in a yeah, mob mentality? Like a, yeah, like a mob mentality. Okay. And um, that really freaks them out. Yeah. And it just reinforces uh, opinions. On both sides, uh, Selena Zito, thank you for making time. At Selena Zito on Twitter, The Great Revolt. You can get it there. Uh, I guess bookstores, worst case, uh, Amazon, if you don't want to buy locally. Selena, thank you. Thank you so much. It was an honor to be on the show. Hey, I know a lot of people are going to dig this podcast uh, once it's put up. Uh, Selena, have a great day. You do as well. Thank you. There she is, Selena Zito, there on the program. Hope you got your fill there. Good stuff to break down. Look forward to getting into a little bit more of that tomorrow. But for now, Catherine, hey ho. I'm going to ask her what happened to fall, and then we're going to get into some bigger issues. World renowned climate scientist sitting down in studio right now. Need to go get her some water like a gentleman. Stick right with us here on AM 580. Quickie break. Other side rolling on. AM 
Hey there, the other side of Texas is sponsored by the law firm of Mullen, Horde, and Brown, LLP, with offices in Lubbock, Amarillo, and Dallas, employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation, banking, financial restructuring, employment law, and estate planning. As we go along, you and be a part of the program. You can do so by texting in smart text. Not going to take dumb text, 806-745-5800. Our core listeners send smart text. If you got something going forward, we'll try to get to that. In studio now, a great privilege, regardless of what what position you might hold with what she concentrates in. That's uh, Catherine Hayhoe, an atmospheric scientist specializing in climate change based out of your Texas Tech University. Uh, author of a Climate for Change, Global Warming Facts for Faith-Based Decisions, a book I own myself. Catherine Hayhoe, I just, we just got off with Selena Zito. And more, more intriguing to me, uh, of everything on the board, I was telling uh, Selena Zito just now, I'm considered by one side to be the prairie populist and therefore nationalist. That's kind of what that means on the left side. On the right side, well, you're a prairie socialist because you want all this big government money for higher education, public education, uh, health care, and access to health care in rural communities, and then agriculture. So it's, you know, I get hit from both sides. But, and sometimes I think I get hit by both sides more than anybody except when, when I think about you because not only – like you, you've done a good job in your messaging is saying, look, I don't take climate change on faith. I take it on the facts that I've presented. But on the other side, I think that you're an unapologetic evangelical Christian. And so for people who are just off on an ideological acid trip on the left, well, you believe in an invisible man in the sky. And that therefore disqualifies you. And then on the right, well, you know, you think that there's such a thing as climate change, so you're dismissed. But I think that you have done a profound job of engaging the great middle. And maybe the great middle's not all the way with you either way, but they're willing to hear you on that. So I think, let's just use Christian terminology, you kind of are a prophet in the wilderness with nowhere to, no, no partisan or party on which to lay your head. What's that like? I do feel a little bit like Jeremiah sometimes. I get a pretty pretty huge amount of hate, usually at least once or twice a day, and sometimes as much as, you know, two or three hundred a day, and that kind of adds up. A lot of from it's... From both sides? Yeah, a lot of it's from people who don't like the idea that as a scientist, I look at this incredible planet that God gave us, and I look at what it's telling us, that yeah, it is getting warmer, even here in Texas, even on a cold day like today. But I in also... In early October. <laughs> in October. But I also get a ton of really nasty stuff from atheists saying that you can't believe in God and be a scientist. Which is incredible because if we believe God created this earth, then what is science other than studying what God created? Um, I get a bunch of stuff from environmentalists saying, you're not telling people that we all have to go vegan and stop having children. And I'm like, well, that's not the solution either. So, yeah, you get it on both sides of the door coming and going. Does it ever get disheartening for you, though? Is there one that you get every once in a while and it just stabs you and it takes you half a day to get over 
There always is. And I think the hardest thing for me personally is when someone who who says that they share our faith, that they're a fellow Christian, they just come at me with such hatred. You think, how can how can Christ live in someone if that's the way that they react to somebody else who shares their faith? Hmm. Um, Catherine Aho here. I I'm just really intrigued by you taking it from both sides. I really enjoy like the show's called Other Side of Texas. And I don't delight in the plundering that you take <laughs> at all, <laughs> but you. I think it's absolutely intriguing. Yeah. Your, your husband's a pastor mm-hmm. here in Lubbock. He is, Church Without Religion, and Andrew Farley. You guys have, do you both do your own Sirius channel? He has his call-in Sirius XM channel, and I have Global Weirding that I do with our local KTTZ. They're short videos you can find on YouTube. And the one for this week is actually called, It's Cold Outside, Where is Global Warming Now? So that's pretty perfect, right? Yeah. but some, Like you're being cynical of exactly. climate change. Yeah. At least in the title. Right, right. We've all thought that. Yeah, okay, we, let's so, be honest. We've all thought that. So, look, <laughs> I, I talk with my my media guy, he, gives me a breakdown of listeners of the program weather is like in the top three and people are really intrigued by it but what is happening like i'm really surprised that it's this cold and i don't know how cold is it right now i've only got in studio but i have to think it's around 50 degrees outside right now and then this weekend as we broadcast this on october 11 so jumping up 13 and 14 October 13 and 14. Like, I don't think it's going to snow, but it's going to be icy on Monday morning. Now, this is an outlier to what I've seen since I was a kid here in West Texas, which was it got cold like in November. Now it gets cold like in January and starts to snow. And even as a skeptic to climate change, just to be transparent, I also have to look at, wait, I haven't been alive 150 years. Things seem like they're a little different than they used to be. So why does it get cold so much later now, Catherine Ayo? It is getting cold later. I mean, of course, we still have cold days. But in Texas, winter is warming faster than any other season in the year. But every season has been warming since the 1950s. And here's the crazy thing. According to natural cycles, because that's actually what we study, we study natural cycles, we should be getting cooler right now, not warmer. So when we but look as at, cool as we're getting right now? Uh, no, long term, okay, <laughs> like decade by decade. Mm-hmm. So that's why we look at the sun and volcanoes and natural cycles and ice age cycles. We look at all of those. We should be getting cooler and we're not. And that's why we have to go back to the 1800s. And we have to say in 1850, an American scientist called Eunice Foote and a British scientist called John Tyndale both figured out in the 1850s, so that's like, what, 160 years ago, that burning coal and gas and oil produces a heat-trapping gas called carbon dioxide. And that occurs naturally in our atmosphere. God gave it to us to keep the planet at just the right temperature for life. If we didn't have naturally uh, occurring heat-trapping gases, we'd be a frozen ball of ice. So we have just the right amount of those gases in the atmosphere, part of the perfect design for life. But they figured out back in the 1850s that we're digging up and burning this stuff, putting way more of these heat-trapping gases into the atmosphere than God ever intended. And that's wrapping an extra blanket around the planet, causing it to heat. 
so broad question do we need like tesla tractors i mean what what's the answer here that wouldn't be such a bad thing. You wouldn't have to buy gas again, right? Well, this is really cool because besides you and me, there's one other person I know who gets it going and coming. His name is Bob Inglis, and he is a two-time Republican congressman from South Carolina who is very conservative as well as being a man of faith. But when he went up for his third term, his son came to him and his son said, Dad, you have to look at this issue of climate change, because if we believe that God gave us responsibility over every living thing on this planet, like it says in Genesis 1, you got to take a look at what's really happening. And so Bob, to give him credit, he sat down and he took a look at all of the information and the data that scientists have. And he said, you know, he said to his son, I think you're right. It is. So Bob told people, I'm conservative. He got like 94% on the conservative scorecard. But I'm going to tell you, we need free market conservative solutions to climate change. And he lost in the primaries after serving as a two-time congressman. So we're excited that he's coming to visit us here at Tech because that's a good person to talk yeah. to about this. We'll get into that here in just a moment. Uh, Catherine Hayhoe with us here. Is it Kay Hayhoe? on Twitter, right? Okay, uh, don't send her ugly tweets, please. Just uh, ask questions. I'm sure that she'll take time to respond. Um, you mentioned that event. I want to get into that here in just a moment. But what has been more in a profile? We're going to go to a break. I hope that you're going to stick around. We're going to talk about the tech event tomorrow, Texas Tech event, and then how you're going to take a plane to Oslo. Yeah. Yeah. And, and do a little forum there. Uh, but you've been in this game for how long now? I've been studying God's creation for, oh, almost 25 years now. So University of Toronto, is that where this yep. starts? Okay. I'm originally from Toronto. My parents were missionaries in South America, so I moved down there when I was nine years old. Um, came back to study in Toronto and then moved to the States where I met my husband. Yeah, did... Uh, why is his name escaping me right now? He's a big and deal out of the University he is. of Toronto. And, oh, no, my husband is Andrew Farley. No, I'm not talking oh, about sorry. Andrew Farley. Excuse me. Oh, <laughs> you're not talking I'm, about my husband. I'm talking about... Um, <laughs> oh, Jordan Peterson? Yes. Yes, he's at University of Toronto. Yeah. Are you friends with Jordan Peterson? No, I don't Can know. Can you get him um, on the show at least? If, if I meet him, I'll tell him. Well, <laughs> yeah. Okay. But you never came across him there. He, he came after I left. Okay. All yeah. right. Uh, so... You've been doing this all your time. What are, whenever you sit down and write your biography, give me your top three things that you've learned thus far, whether that be in public pressure or like these are the three things I'm going to do each day. Even though I know I'm going to get rocks thrown at me from both sides, I'm going to do these three things. I think the biggest lesson I've learned from talking to thousands of people here in West Texas and around the country is that most of us don't really have a problem with basic science that goes back to the 1850s, but we have a big problem with a government telling us what to do. And a lot of the solutions that are presented to us when we talk about climate change are all about the government telling us what to do. But I don't want the government setting my thermostat or telling me what type of car I can or can't drive or destroying the economy. But how do you distinguish it? So maybe you're mm -hmm. producing science that may compel the government to do that. 
Well, that's why I'm so excited about talking about solutions that are not liberal solutions, they're not socialist solutions, they're bipartisan solutions or even free market solutions, and that's what we're doing at Tech on Friday night, because I think there are solutions across the whole spectrum. There's even libertarian solutions, and we need, as a scientist, I'm kind of agnostic on solutions. I just want something that works. And so I want something that people can get on board with that they don't feel is just a power grab from the government, but they feel like it's good for our economy. Like the fact that we have 25,000 jobs in the wind energy industry already in Texas alone. That's pretty cool. That's good for our economy. Wind energy is revitalizing a lot of our small towns here in West Texas. And public school systems, yeah. Exactly. They're providing a much bigger tax base. So those are the types of solutions we need to be talking about because we can so get behind them. It's so curious to me, Catherine Hayhoe, mm-hmm. that you are establishing yourself as world-renowned out of West Texas. And here I'm going to go on a rabbit trail, and I will completely understand if you dodge what I'm about to bring up. Okay? Because I've got a theology degree. I study, you know... I play a sociologist on the radio, as well as a lawyer, a banker, and other things. But I've got liberty behind this microphone to say, in my study and my analysis of my place, people don't seem to be environmentally concerned. And by environmentally concerned, I mean so far as stewardship of this place. Like, let's take recycling, for instance. There's no massive recycling effort in Lubbock, Texas, like the rural metropolis of the region, because I think two things. One is a rapture theology, that whenever things get really bad, we'll just get zapped out of here. A rapture theology, whenever you mention the mid-1800s, about that old. Mm -hmm. And secondly, kind of in a literature term, man versus the earth. And we have fought this place, and all the danger, like... It's seldom that we get a rain and people don't have some sort of sense of, is my life in jeopardy? You know, and that's just kind of the way the weather. So it is like, in my sense, you know what? The weather, whether there's climate change or not, it's been pretty treacherous here for some time. Mm-hmm. And then on top of it, I'm not an advocate of this, but some people are. If things get really bad, yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah. Well, first of all, I have to give a plug to tech because tech has a recycling program that anybody can use. We use it. There you go. You throw all your stuff in one bag. They ask you to maybe separate out the glass if you don't mind, but you throw the styrofoam, the the cans, yeah, yeah, everything in one bag. You throw it up there. They hire student interns to process it all, and our trash funds 35 student scholarships at tech. And it's growing every year. So I think that's pretty amazing. So if you have a chance to donate to tech, give them your recycling because they actually use it. So I drive from the house and I drive Uh north down Flint. And then eventually you begin to see recycling signs guiding you in. The easiest thing to do is just put in TTU recycling on Google Maps because, man, they didn't make it easy to find. Okay. But it's open 24-7. That's a good tip. But I just feel so bad because, mm -hmm. like, whenever my mother-in-law comes over, I always make sure that I took all my stuff to tech because... We got all the glass, and most of it is beer bottles, oh. maybe some spirit <laughs> bottle. And I look like a raging alcoholic if I hadn't gone to tag because it's all just stored in a bin. I'm like, oh, what's Linda gonna think? Yeah, and I, got, I love Linda. I got a few of those. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we always try to try to go drop off the recycling before mom and law. I, I hear you. Yeah. Well, the, the second But my thing, mom grew uh, up Catholic. 
Roman uh, Catholic in Nashville, not necessarily the problem. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, so the, so the second thing, to speak to your second point, if you look at a map of the U.S. of all the states that have had weather or climate disasters that have caused more than a billion dollars worth of damage, we're number one. We have had... We being who? Texas. We've had 105 disasters that have caused more than a billion dollars worth of damage since 1980. So... Natural disasters occur naturally, right? I mean, we get drought all the time. We get heat waves. We get cold. We get blizzards, ice storms, boobs, everything. Where is the connection to long-term change? The connection is, is that the warmer it gets, the more it loads the dice against us. It's like we always have a chance of throwing this double six naturally. But as the world gets warmer decade by decade by decade, One and another and another of those numbers on the dice is turning into a six. So the double sixes are turning up more and more, and even an occasional seven is turning up, like Harvey. We would have had Harvey 100 years ago. We would have had Harvey 1,000 years ago. But we wouldn't have had as much rain associated with Harvey because for every two degrees warmer it is, the air holds about 7% more water vapor so it can sweep all that stuff up and dump it on us. And that's what it did during Harvey. She is Catherine Hayhoe. You stick right with us here on the show. Going to go to a quick break and get back in with... Catherine Hayhoe and what's going on at Texas Tech tomorrow night broadcasting to you on a Thursday and uh, she's going to Oslo get in with that here on the other side of your other side Howdy, Jay. West Texas Leeson here. I'm going to tell you about my friends at Flint Boot and Hat. They've been building hats since 1994 and repairing boots, I guess, since forever. My dog, chewed up my ostrich boots jared and his guys replaced the heel made them look new again put new pulls on and at a super affordable price they've resold my boots and they build great hats love these guys go check them out 3035 34th street or flint boot and hat shop at flint and 34th street see more at flinthat.com Texas way. We'll smile and time is how it's done. We we'll treat you like you're the only one. Your peace of mind is our state of mind. We won't get to know you one smile at a time. Smile, it's gonna be okay. Chasing white dentistry the West Texas way. If you're looking for a gem of West Texas, look no further than the Slayton Harvey House. The Slayton Harvey House is located 15 miles southeast of Lubbock. It was first built in 1912 as an eating house for passengers on the Santa Fe Railway. Today, the Slayton Harvey House is fully restored, serving as a bed and breakfast inn where you can stay in a historically appointed bedroom and an event center and museum. A unique facility offering guests West Texas hospitality while experiencing trains passing by. Learn more or book online at SlaytonHarveyHouse.com or call 806-828-5900. This is what happens when your mother drops you on your head one too many times. Welcome back to The Other Side with Jay Leeson. Lord, it's the same old 
Hey, welcome back in. Having a good and delightful, maybe we should pay for like offline access to what we talk about in the breaks. Uh, but we are uh, back here on your other side. This segment brought to you by, as we close out, Lubbock File Room, providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to Lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992. You need your documents stored, maybe shredded? Guess what I think? What do you got? I think that you can go get some help from LubbockFileRoom.com for a free and hassle-free estimate. Do what I do. Call them up, 806-744-7666 today. Catherine Hayhoe, as we continue our way here, renowned climate scientist, world-renowned. I want to be world-renowned at something, Catherine. I mean, I'm not going to compare age and see what you've accomplished by the time you are where you are. And I won't get jealous of you. Uh, <laughs> big event uh, tomorrow at Texas Tech. Uh, 13th season of Tech's uh, Presidential Lecture Performance Series. Tell us what you have planned there. We are really excited to kick it off with a discussion of climate and energy. Now, before before you kind of figure who's who's Jay got in his program today and what are they talking about, we're going to be talking about the future of energy here in Texas and around the world with Bob Inglis, who's a two-time Republican congressman from South Carolina, with Joey Hall, who's the VP for Permian Operations with Pioneer, which is one of our biggest oil and gas companies here in Texas, and with Michael Weber, who is a wind energy expert from UT, who is so well known that they just poached him to head a big international institute in Paris. And so he's leaving us here in Texas in a couple of months, but we got him to come before he's going. And we're going to have a conversation about how energy is part of our lives. We need energy. Everybody needs energy. People who live in poor countries are suffering primarily because they don't have energy. But we've been getting energy the same way for a very long time, and now things are changing, even here in Texas. You know, our electricity in some parts of Texas is cheaper from wind and solar than it is from natural gas already. So the world is changing fast, and we're going to talk about what are we going to do about that, because we need energy, but we need jobs too. We have a lot of jobs here in Texas, over 25,000 jobs in wind energy, but we have a lot of jobs in oil and gas too. So what is the future of energy and how can we manage this incredible transition we're under? You know, a transition similar to when we went from horses and buggies to cars while still providing jobs for people and growing the local economy. And you're moderating this discussion. Uh, when and where? It is 7 p.m. in the Allen Theater tomorrow, Friday night. You can get tickets on Select-A-Seat. It's 17 bucks. It's free for a student, but you just have to get a ticket. And we love to have you join us because there's going to be a Q&A with our panel after we're done talking. Wow. So why are you... Why are you leading the panel? Why aren't you in a chair? <laughs> well, I'm the, I'm the scientist, so I diagnose the problem. We scientists are really good at diagnosing the problem, but we're not the solutions people. So I wanted to get people who are solutions people, people who understand oil and gas, people who understand wind energy, and a politician because they're the people who implement a lot of our solutions. Okay, but whenever you go to Oslo, whenever you 
get on your plane and go to Norway, uh, you will be a part of the panel. I will. There. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's coming up December 11. Mm-hmm. You're going to be sitting there, Texas Tech's own. When was the last time somebody sat on the uh, panel in, in Oslo? I don't think anybody from Texas Tech has ever done that. I don't want to get, I mean, I, I just instigated a big fight with you academics. Uh, yeah. Profound, profound pride there. But what, when did you get invited to that? What's this thing going to be about in Oslo? Well, last week I got an email from the Nobel Peace Prize Committee saying that we have a forum after the ceremony, and would you like to be part of our forum? They wanted four experts from around the world to talk about climate solutions. So I'm going to pick the brains of our experts on Friday at TAC, and I'm going to take those ideas to Oslo because I do think it's pretty cool that someone from right here in West Texas is invited to go to Oslo to talk with the world, basically. This is going to be live streamed around the world. We can watch it right here at home, but it's going to be everywhere talking about climate solutions at the global scale. Wow. You ever done anything like that? Um, I've, I've done some international stuff before. Uh, last summer, I had an incredible opportunity to go to a, a scientific conference. Actually, it was not this summer, but last summer, where Stephen Hawking was one of the keynote speakers just before he passed away. And Neil deGrasse Tyson and every living astronaut who's walked on the moon. And then I got to speak at that conference. So I was just sitting there in the audience going, this is awesome. I love Did this. Did you have to follow them? Yes, I had to follow them. <laughs> It's terrible and awesome all at one time. It was both. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. Wow. Man, I, I mean, what's your first concern whenever you get invited to something like that? My first concern is, is can I do it? Because I'm very conscious of the fact that I'm talking to people about, you know, how can we get our energy from different ways? And then I'm flying there on a, on a, you know, an airplane to, to, to talk about it. So, what I try to do is I try to collect my invitations and go somewhere once I've got a critical mass. Like in January, I'm going to go to the L.A. area and I'm going to be speaking at three different Christian colleges in the L.A. area. And it took a while to, you know, get the plan together to talk at, um, you know, Biola and, and um, the other ones I'm going to. But I think it's worth it to do that. And then also I'm really excited because Oslo and L.A. are the two airports in the world where they put biofuel into airplanes. So in Oslo, I think they're running it off algae biofuel. And in um, L.A., they're running it off, you know, agricultural residue that they turn oh, into jet fuel. So nobody's going to be able to Al Gore you, Catherine. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mr. and Mrs. Climate Change. Mm-hmm. Everybody, now, now you're flying on what you're preaching on. Exactly. I look for these things when I do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Catherine Aho, uh, a climate for change, global warming facts for faith-based decisions. And I'm sure you've gotten all you've got all sorts of postings up at uh, Texas Tech TTU.edu. Yeah, so you can find the info for our presidential series on Friday tomorrow night all over Texas Tech. You just Google, you know, presidential lecture series or go to select a seat. You can find it. Our Climate Science Center at Tech has a Facebook page. I have a Facebook page. All the info's there, and we'd love to see you tomorrow night. All right. Uh, Catherine Ajo, as uh, we get out of here, uh, you come back soon? Love to. I, I, no, I mean it. I, all right. I, I love the person in the middle, and I will say... However generous this might be or or whatever I'm about to say, you know what I love about Jesus is you read the Gospels and there's a guy who's taking it from both sides. Mm-hmm. I always trust the guy in the middle. Mm-hmm. Trust the guy in the middle or maybe the gal 
in the middle. Catherine Hayhoe uh, gets you out of here. I know you've got big things going. Uh, Going to close out this edition of the program. Want to tell you that tomorrow, the next episode, we're going to discuss the sod poodles in Amarillo. Will that be the name of a new minor league team? Texas Monthly putting out a big piece about that. Author Austin Corona will be on the program with us. And then we're going to get in some, you like some poetry? Maybe need to change a pace, some poetry about Texas, maybe West Texas poet at Texas Tech, an English professor, John, a literature professor, uh, professor, I should say, John Poach will be on the program as well. A couple of selections to talk about with us on your Friday's other side. You can go to othersideoftexas.com or Facebook, other side of Texas, at OSTX Show on Twitter. Gonna get home, gotta get home, an above average dinner waiting at the house, I'm sure. Yeah, but a a great family as well. And then here in about uh, 25 minutes from now, Alan Bowman couldn't take a plane, biofuel or otherwise, but he could drive to Fort Worth. Expecting him maybe to make the start tonight? Yeah, baby, I'm all about it. For Selena Zito, for Catherine Hayhoe, you can hear this on the number 11 Apple podcast for U.S. news and politics for a reason. I'm going to close out here, and we hope that we'll see you next edition, next episode on the other side. It's who we want.